we are now live. We are back. And I'm going to add in my special guest. So let me find him now. So just while everybody joins, hopefully um, everyone's having a good Sunday, a relaxing Sunday, actually enjoying the premise of this show because Sundays in general are supposed to be the day of rest. Hence why on Sundays I take the opportunity to get somebody else in and let, you know, let somebody else answer all the questions. So for those who don't know, this is my Sunday section called Ask Somebody Else. It's basically an opportunity for myself and you guys to ask a question to a property expert um, from a different field. So uh, two weeks ago, we had Tex Jones, a established developer um, from South London. The week previously, we had Alex from AA Drafting, an architect, answered loads of really good questions. And this week, we have a gentleman called Sam Norris. So we're hoping to get Sam in the building. I've sent him an invite, so hopefully he gets in very soon. He's going to beat our record of being our earliest guest because everybody else leaves me talking for about, you know, anywhere between two to ten minutes by myself. So Sam Norris was unable to join. Sam, let me try and send you another invite. There we go. I think you've requested me. That's why. So I think Sam's about to jump in now and I'll introduce him properly. But again, for those who haven't been in here before, you're here. Amazing. You beat the record. You're only one minute late to being in. There was 10 minutes, then two minutes. Then we got you. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Apologies for the background today. My house has been taken over. So I'm filming from my spare room slash walk-in wardrobe. So yes, I am just in a cupboard technically. Well, I was I was thinking what you're doing in the Foot Locker. I know, I know, I know. I wish Foot Locker <laughs> I thought, wish, I thought, I thought Foot Locker wish they had these trainers. They wish they did. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's amazing that Sam's in. Listen, guys, if you can as well at the bottom, you should see um, a little arrow. You can click there, invite anybody else into the, into the space that you think will get some value out of today. Because again, we're going to have the opportunity to ask somebody for advice that you'd normally have to pay for. So take advantage of it. It's a Sunday and I'm sitting here with Sam. So I'm going to introduce you first, Sam. Awesome. And then hopefully you can tell me where I get it wrong um, and a little <laughs> bit more about yourself. So I actually met Sam through the power of social media. We met via Instagram. He was gracious enough to have me on his podcast. And I think we clicked really well. So if you haven't listened to that, I'm also going to post the link at the end as well. So you can go have, have a listen to that afterwards. But Sam is basically a finance specialist. Um, he set up Grand Union Finance after working in the industry for a while. So they specialize in everything property finance related. So bridging finance, development finance, buy-to-lets, um, residential mortgages. Today, we're going to be discussing everything within that space because I get a lot of questions about, you know, I'm looking to get into property. What's the best way to finance deals? Um, and even just discussions around finance in general. So. Um, you know, investor finance versus bridging loans, pros and cons and all sorts of different things. But Sam, I've spoken for three straight <laughs> minutes. I'm out of breath. I'm surrounded <laughs> by shoes that probably smell. So introduce yourself. No, do, do you know what? That was actually really good. I think you pretty much uh, pretty Did much I? nailed it. This is free and for free weeks in a row. People have do, said that. <laughs> do you know, but do you know what? You'll um, you'll start to get used to this. So I do I do a live video every yeah. Monday at five pm, and I've been doing it for six yeah. months now. And look at the smoothness and of that plug. It doesn't even sound like one. I, I know, oh, right? It's just so yeah. smooth. <laughs> and, I, and and you know, it's even got a great name, the Monday Mortgage Melt. So yeah, sure. how's that for a, for a little a, plug as well? You you know, I love alliteration. I'll sound all day long. I'll buy that. <laughs> genuinely the only reason i do it on a monday because it has the same letter as the word mortgage and i just had to find i had to find another word to go with it so it was three words and that was it um but it's amazing how when you do these lives 
you, you were just saying there, I've been talking for three minutes, you know, I'm out, I'm out of breath. Try going on your own, just doing a Q and A for an hour. By the, by, the, by the end of it, I need a lie down. And I'm not even kidding. Like I, walk, no. I walk out of the room and I just sort of lie on my couch and go, like, no, it's, it's listen, the first week when text was 10 minutes late i was panic stationed i was looking around <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was just waiting for so i just started just saying people's names that appeared in the chat like yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's... also what you'll do is you'll start um you'll start doing that and then it's really great and everyone's like oh wicked they're saying my name but then you realize you've been doing it for like two minutes straight and that's and then you suddenly go hang on i've actually got to give some value here i better start answering some questions or, or talking about <laughs> something so um but I love it. I love these sessions. I love how interactive that they get and you get people that are jumping in and they're asking questions and they're saying hi and they're sharing their um, experiences as well. Um, and, and truly the power of social media. Seeing the people that, you know, you've answered their questions in the past and you see them also in the live. So that, um, I think I saw Bilal earlier who we've spoken a bit on social media. Kaz is actually another Kaz property, which I feel like I need to big up because he, <laughs> when I checked, was Kaz Property before I was Kaz Property. He's doing, I think, I think it's a nine or 11 bedroom HMO, so really big project. So if you're not following nice. him, just type in Kaz as well, you'll find him, he's in here. Um, he's doing some big things in property. But yeah, thank you for everyone that's obviously taking the time out to come and see us. Hi, Diva Ab, um, we've spoken a lot as well. So again, if you've got any questions um, within the finance field, make sure you get them over. You can ask them in the, in the chat or you can put them in the comment section and we'll get those up. Um, I've so I always like to just kind of delve into people's journeys a little bit before I get into mm -hmm. other people's questions. So you obviously now um are you a sole founder or co co-founder of your co co-founder, okay. um, which has been incredibly helpful because mm. um we actually have completely different skill sets in mm. terms of what, what we do. Um so yeah, uh, my friend um Engin and I set up Grand Union Finance in June last year. Mm. Um Basically, off the bat, we met about six years ago working at a company. Um, and believe it or not, my hair was even messier then than it is now. And I knew. Oh, did you see mine from the homes under the hammer? It was down my yeah, back. <laughs> that was that was awesome. I loved that 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 video um, earlier on that I watched. It was great. I was like, I literally showed my wife. I was just like, oh, I know this person. <laughs> um, no, but no, I wouldn't. So literally, I walked in. Um, my, my future business partner, who I didn't know at the time, was was sitting in the in the in the seat that I was allocated opposite. And he didn't even say hello. He didn't say welcome to the company. He just went, Jesus, look at the state of you. That was his first thing, <laughs> first thing he ever said to me. And I instantly, and I instantly thought, yeah, 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 me and him are going to be mates. Yeah, it and is I, all right. And I, <laughs> and I reckon, I reckon it was, you know, you have like that water cooler chat. I reckon it was um, two weeks after you started. We were, we were bantering back and forth straight away. And we literally, there was, I always remember like the water cooler stroke coffee bit was right in the corner of like what you would call like the bullpen, like the sales area where all the brokers were and we were kind of like perusing over and we were just sort of up, like chucking ideas like oh, if we own this place if we ran this place what would we do differently and so and that kind of just evolved into well the, these are all good ideas maybe we should do it and then you know i left he left um we ended up then working again at another company before this one um i i actually got let go from the company because i was the only broker that was being paid a salary um, at the beginning of the first lockdown. Oh. And um, luckily, we already had like the wheels in motion to get Grand Union started, yeah. but we weren't envisaging doing it probably till the beginning of this year, if I'm honest. And I just sort of called him and I said, look, mate, I can get another job. That's not a problem. Or should we just accelerate things and just should keep moving? No. And that's, what, quite and that's what we did. Like, you know, lockdown businesses, that mm. it kind of was the catalyst to getting businesses going. And I yeah. think 
I'm also almost a bit scared of lockdown finishing. I'm like, what, what's it going to be? What's it going to be like working, this, do, do, working do in the normal world? Do I have to go to an office? Like, what's, yeah. what's going uh, on? No, I miss I miss the office. I, I actually I actually did go down. Me and uh, me and Ingrid hadn't seen each other since December last year, and I was like, last like week before last, I just went, mate. I, I, we need some FaceTime. We need to get together. We need to start talking about our targets and all this kind of stuff. And we actually we had a day together Wednesday last week, and it was just so good. I mean, I had I actually had a journey from hell coming back up to the Midlands afterwards, three different trains I had to get in the end. But my God, it was so good just having that, having that FaceTime. So I'm looking forward to that. Just, yeah, I just, it's going to be weird, like not having the background of, or the backdrop of lockdown kind of behind us because we've never had that as a business, just being completely free to do whatever we want. I'm looking forward to networking, going out and yeah, seeing yeah, people. Yeah, no, networking, really. networking is um, mm. definitely something that I'm looking forward to. So that's good. So, um, okay, and then, your your day to day, would you say you deal more with your developer client, more with your um, you know, your typical owner occupier? Who who do yeah. you tend to think you engage with more? So um we kind of not I wouldn't say we split the, the the company in two in terms of what we what we cover. I've certainly got more of a speciality in the bridging development space. So yeah. Uh, I don't. I think I'm doing like one residential mortgage for a mate of mine at the moment, but okay. everything other than that is all investors. Um, and and te- and how we tend to do it is that every a lot of new clients to our business they'll come v- through me first, and I'll be kind of like their first point of contact yeah. and and start sort of talking them through their journey if they if they're kind of new to it, like where they want to be, and kind of giving them kind of advice from an investor point of view rather than almost mm. from a bro- broker point of view, but talking mm-hmm. them through the different type of finance, giving them that grounding and then depending on, you know, who's got the time I mean, on a transactional basis will go to me or him. One thing I was thinking as well is because a lot of, I think like on like a lot of property pages, mine in particular, my, my demographic are a lot of people that are quite new in their journey. Mm-hmm. So maybe from a, from just a very base level, if you can explain the different type of lending options. So what, yeah. like literally, what is a residential mortgage, mm-hmm. de- typical deposits, what's a buy-to-let mortgage, typical deposits, typical yeah. rates, and again, also the same for a bridging loan. I know it yeah. varies a lot, but just kind of from a top level and then we'll work down into maybe more in-depth things. Yeah, I love that. So um, yeah, typically when we're looking at mortgages, um, that can range from, as you said, residential mortgages, mm-hmm. then you look at the investor side and you've got buy-to-let relatively standard. You can do that in personal name or limited company name. Uh, you've got HMOs, you've got mortgages mm-hmm. for serviced accommodation, and you might also get a mortgage if you wanted to rent a property out through like a social housing provider as well, but that might fall into the realms of commercial. But if we go to the beginning of that and talk about residential, mm-hmm. max at the moment, 90% loan to value, so you need a 10% deposit, although I'm sure, I think we've already had a, a question about yeah. 5% deposits so that yeah. are going to come in. They're, they're going to be arranged on an affordability basis. Everyone, a lot of people still think there's these like income multiple scenarios. There mm. isn't really. Lenders will look at your surplus income and then make sure that they're comfortable that you can afford that, even if, say, the interest rate went up by by 1%. So they, they yeah. want to they want a buffer. So income and expenditure is really important for that. On the investment side for the for mortgages, it's really down to the, the property first and then the the individual second. So does the does the property generate or is it going to generate enough income to allow for the amount that you want to borrow? Um, typically speaking, we don't advise our clients to borrow more than 75% loan to value yeah. because we don't want, don't want to be over leveraged. Um, something actually that a lot of people don't know is once you get to four properties, and this mm-hmm. is why we don't we say don't over leverage, 
once you get to four properties, you actually fall into a new category of uh, portfolio landlord. You've got to get a background stress test done. And it's not as black and white as this, but if your average LTV across your portfolio is more than 75%, you might actually get your application declined on the basis that you're too highly geared. You're too highly, highly geared, yeah. In, so. in, in the background. So, yeah, it's important to remember that. Yeah. Um, and then, so for a buy-to-let mortgage, because, you know, this is a lot of people that maybe is their first step into investing in property before, mm-hmm. you know, becoming an investor that's either flipping or refurbishing, it's that investment property. So a question that was asked to me, not, not here, but previously, was how do you work out how much you let somebody borrow? Mm-hmm. So, and obviously I know it's different with different lenders and different, you know, criterias, but I guess maybe sort of more of a, not so concerned about the rate, but you know, the lenders that will lend the most, where, yeah. who, who are those lenders? Maybe if you don't mind saying, and at what mm-hmm. sort of level would they let you borrow? Maybe an example of some round figures. Yeah. So uh, every lender will have a rental calculator that they will yeah. use to, to work out how much you can borrow. And typically speaking, um, the, the one that we always start with, if I'm on the phone to a client and we're mm. trying to work out if they can achieve it, what we first do is we stress test the, um, the interest rate at 5.5%. So we work out what the interest-only payment per yeah. month would be if mm-hmm. the interest rate was 5.5%. And then we work out what 125% of that figure is. That mm-hmm. number is what the rent then needs to be in order for them to achieve that amount of borrowing, if that makes okay. sense. Okay, yeah. So, so that's pretty much, that will like give you a, a, a basic idea as to whether it's going to happen easily or whether, because if, if the amount of rent that you're looking at is less than that, mm-hmm. it's not to say that you won't be able to get a mortgage. We've just got to be a little bit more creative. We've got to look at lenders that might not have as stringent a stress yeah. test. Um, because, yeah, so effectively, just for maybe someone who didn't get it, it's like if your rent is effectively a thousand pounds, sorry, if your mortgage payments are going to be a thousand pounds a month, mm-hmm. they're going to be expecting that the minimum rental income, like from them kind of being covered, is 1,250. Um, Absolutely. Which kind of, from a top level, even before you're maybe speaking to a broker and you're just looking at acquiring a property, you can do your own numbers at, you know, a set interest rate off, off the back of, you know, what Sam said, just to see if it's even feasible in the first place. Because I think exactly. a lot of people start looking at properties and fantasize, okay, that, yeah, well, I've just heard 75% loan to value. So as long as I put my 25% in, but, you know, really, when you're getting a buy-to-let product, it's all about you know the risk for the bank that how does that does the income more than cover you know what your interest is in the current state and also in a worst case scenario maybe in the next five years while you've got your product do you know what's funny about that as well is i I, am not so much anymore i have to say but um going back a few years i used to get quite a lot of uh like almost not objections but people are going oh that's that's a really strict test you know and i actually turned around and said you know what it's good because you when you look at it from an investor point of view if you don't fit that's if that property Mm -hmm. project doesn't fit that standard rental income kind of calculator then maybe maybe question whether it's a decent project or not because there's there's, there's a there's a reason why the lenders do that like people forget banks lenders they're really clever institutions you know they they know a lot about what's going on in the property market they know a hell of a lot about what's going on in the economy and they are risking, you know, they're creating these policies and these and these this criteria because they understand it. And so chances are they're going to understand it better than most investors will. And yeah. so actually, if your property project doesn't fit within that and it doesn't allow you to borrow, you maybe want to question 
is this actually could i find yeah, a better project think, than this i think a lot of the time that for for investors investors are a lot more you know a lot more likely to take risk than maybe a financial institution is very set at you know a financial institution is basically like playing the casino at blackjack they will you know they they're they're all they've got where they hit and if, if it's you know for, for those that are familiar with blackjack it's like up to 16 you know they're gonna hit unless it's a um soft 16 and that's just how they play and to be honest it it may not some people may want to take a risk but they play with the odds so chances are if you run with that model you're a lot likely to be more successful as well than maybe over risking unless there's a massive reward that the banks don't see so i yeah. for example a potential planning gain that you know is of x y and z so there could be things but banks have no yeah. banks that are lending you on a buy to let product have no interest in your planning gain then you should really be on a specialist product of you know a, a bridge which is fit for purpose and i think that's a conversation that almost brings us on to another conversation because a lot of people are looking um at doing you know i get conversations saying okay look i've got x amount of money and i've, I've been hearing all about this um you know brrr like um buy refurbish um you know refinance and rent strategy um but because of their current capital levels they're hoping to do that on a buy to let now what are banks attitudes towards people refinancing on a buy to let at what degree could you <laughs> refurbish you know i think is it's, it is uh, it it, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. Um, it's one of, uh, I get I get this question a, a hell of a lot, which is, you know, why can't I use a mortgage to to, to buy a property with a buyer refurbish refinance mm. strategy? And the answer is because you're not allowed. Like it's mm. not, bridging is not a want-based kind of product. Mm. People don't go, oh, I really want a bridge. They prefer to not mm. pay, pay bridging rates. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a need. It's a need product. Mm. I need I want to follow a particular strategy, therefore, I need to get the right uh, finance in place. Now, there's two things to consider here, which I think are the, are the, are the big ones. Um, the most basic of which is if you're, buy, if you're getting a mortgage to buy a property and refurbish it, and you have to think about the name of the mortgage. It's called buy to let. It's not called buy to refurbish and then let. It's called buy to let. It means that A, the property's got to be rentable pretty much mm. day one. They might the uh, lender might give a little bit of sway to say, yeah, um, you know, we three to four weeks worth of work maximum. So anything more than that, you run the risk of them declining the application because once the valuer goes round, they'll they're going to give that information to the lender and they can say yeah. no or they're going to downvalue it massively or, or whatever. Um, mm. The second is, and this is this is where it gets. I get a lot of weird sort of comebacks from clients is. Um, if we applied for a mortgage and gave all of the information up front to the lender to say, right, the plan here, guys, is that we're going to do some work to it and we're going to look at then refinancing it based on a, on a higher valuation in six months' time. Guess what the lender's going to do? Lender is going to decline the application because they don't want to do that. So then I get people go, well, why don't we just not tell the lender? I'm like, because that's getting a mortgage by deception, which mm. in, in the best case scenario is wrong. And in the worst case scenario is the sort of the... The, um, the the short end of mortgage fraud. So yeah. you need to pick the right product for you. Now, I've got clients that will buy a property and refurbish it, rent it out and refinance it two years later when they come off a fixed rate. I haven't got a problem with that. Um, in fact, for a lot of people, that's a nice balancing risk. Um, but if your plan is that you want to build a portfolio rapidly, you've just got to get over the fact that you can't 
sort of, um, you know, jump the gun and start using mortgages. And one thing I say to a lot of my clients is I have got clients that are the like top level investors. They've got hundreds of properties. They they really know what they're doing and yeah. they use bridging. So I say to my, my, my newbie clients, what do you think that you know that these guys don't? You know, yeah. these I guys think, are using bridging. You follow the, follow the path. It's there ready for you to follow. I think for a lot of people with bridging, there's a fear. So that fear is almost a fear. Like it's almost like a community-based fear in that, you know, people from particularly um, black and ethnic minority culture, there's kind of a, a stigma that debt is bad. Like there was kind of growing up that like, you shouldn't get yourself into debt. All debt is bad. Um, but there's such thing as good debt and there's also such thing as manageable risk. So the same with bridging. I think there's a stigma that uh, a bridging loan, because somebody with not great credit can get a bridging loan, it's almost a stigma that you would only go for a bridging loan as a last case, worst case scenario, um, you know, because you couldn't do it any other way. However, what I've learned through my experience is that using a bridging loan is actually a financial in like, instrument that can allow you to facilitate a transaction in the way you need, because it's actually a specialist product that allows for short-term finance whilst you're adding value, whilst, whilst you're adding a planning gain, you know, whilst you're maybe putting in a planning application and, you know, and all sorts of different things. And I think the thing with bridging, and we spoke about this in the past, is that the risk that risk element comes from you not correctly or stringently enough, um, you know, actually sort of doing your numbers on your project. Because with a bridge, for example, I may take a bridge for on a 12 month, 12 month term. Now the, the project itself may be a six month project that I may also calculate my fees for six months, but you need to what if factor if the project took a further you know, nine or 12 months, have a conversation with your broker that look, what's the worst case scenario if we go into 12? What, how do the fees increase? Are there any penalties, X, Y, and Z? So really understanding when you're taking out a financial product and you're borrowing, you know, five, six, seven figure sums, you need to understand that document as if you were signing your life away because mm -hmm. there's so many different like implication areas that, you know, you need to, um, you just need to make sure you understand. But again, even though I'm saying all of this, bridging can be an amazing product because it's funds on tap. Once you've met the criteria of the bridger, once you make sure that your deal stack, it's it's funds, it's, you know, it's access to money. So you're not going around looking for an investor or trying to piece together a deal. There's so many moving parts. So, okay, I found a deal. Now I've got to find the finance. Now I found the finance. Now do I find a deal? With using like specific, like specific financial products, you take one of those moving parts away and then you can just focus on deal sourcing and doing your numbers. And I think that's why engaging with somebody like Sam or any of the other amazing brokers out there mean that you have somebody in your corner that says, look, you get me X, Y, or Z, and I'll tell you how likely you are to be accepted, what different financial products are available, and you know we can move forward. And that's why I think Bridging is an amazing tool to use if used correctly. Again, it, it does have its risks. And let me, you know, kind of put it out there as a precursor. There are loads of risks. Yes, they will foreclose on an asset. But in the same way, a bank will foreclose on an asset if you don't pay, if you don't pay your interest <laughs> or don't pay your terms that, that you've agreed with them. Um, so I think we've had a couple of questions come in in regards to bridging. So let me just see. Um says when looking at bridging finance how does the process work and what um 
what funds are required to actually get into finance. So I guess mm. from that element, that would maybe mean, does the bank always, like what, what deposit amount do you need for bridging finance? Mm -hmm. Do they need a certain surplus amount of funds in the account? Um, if you're not paying, if you're not rolling up the interest, then maybe you can explain that. And then also from a, you know, will that will with bridging, if you have planning, will they lend for the build costs at what, you know, and how does that, that, that stuff work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one key thing to, to talk about when it comes to bridging is it's very similar to mortgages in very, very in many, many ways. You know, it is a loan secured against an, uh, a property asset at the end of the day. Um, one of the key differences, and you've used a term called rolling up there, it's actually uh, quite um, unlikely nowadays. It's unusual to get a lender that rolls up the in interest. Mm. They prefer to deduct the interest. Now, if I can find lenders, sorry, yeah, that's, that that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that's, that's actually what I meant. No, but but there, but there is actually a difference, and mm. um, you know, it's quite technical. So now might not be not be the right time to mm. go into into the detail. Um, but effectively, when you look at taking out a mortgage, you borrow seventy five percent. Your day one advance is what we would call it towards the purchase is your seventy five percent with a bridge. The lender is deducting their fees and interest for the entire term from that what we call the gross loan, which is 75%. Mm -hmm. Your net day one advance towards your purchase is whatever remains after those deductions. And so you were talking about earlier on a 12-month term. Deducting 12 months of interest from some loans can make a big difference, um, which is why we I do a lot of analysis of clients. And obviously, we want to stress test this. But you know, if I do have a client that says, oh, you know, I'm going to get the work done in, in three months, and then I'm going to refinance straight away realistically, we're going to be done in six. Now, I'm not going to recommend a six-month term, but I'll probably split the difference and say, well, we don't need 12 months. Let's go for nine, because mm. then, we're, then we're only deducting nine, and then we don't have to put as big a deposit down, um, yeah. you know, with you know, th three months difference worth of interest. So one of the reasons why lenders do this is because, um, well, there's two, two reasons. One that's a positive for the client, and one that's a positive for the, for the lender, which also actually ends up being a bit of a positive for the client as well. So one, when you're doing a uh, like a refurbishment, the last thing that you want to be worrying about at the end of every month is, oh my god, I've got to service this debt. I've got to pay an interest payment to this lender. Exactly. If it's if, if it's deducted from the loan, you don't have to worry about it. Your cash and your cash I, flow is saved basically. I never, you know, because I I never understand people who don't just deduct with a bridge who don't deduct this, particularly when you're doing anywhere from <clears throat> sorry, apologies, anywhere from between sort of three to twelve months. I don't understand people that don't deduct their fees from the issue amount because, you know, a bridging loan, sort of if the loan's on half a million, your fees are probably somewhere around 3,000 monthly, um, probably maybe a bit more. Um, if that's what you're paying, who wants to have to find that every month? You've either got the money to do it, you know, or unless you have, if you've got a separate business that's cash flowing amazingly and, you know, your work, because I've got some people that, you know, if you've got businesses that are cash flowing, 20 or thousand a month you know positive cash flow then i understand that you're looking look mm -hmm. i don't want to have that money sitting down because we can use that to you know um speed the works process up from the beginning have more money up front so i get it but if maybe so i like yeah i lost you there for yeah no i say i said phone call mid live i said that's my first one that's happened <laughs> um so yes, I was just basically saying, um, yeah, I don't personally understand it because I feel, you know, that if you can, unless you're in an amazing position where you're cash flowing amazingly, you know, you know your numbers, you know how much money you have, and you shouldn't be basing on money that you hope to come in to finish a project that you're bridging on. Mm -hmm. In reality, you should realistically have the majority of the funds secured for the purchase, deposit, and you know the entire mm -hmm. build out. 
But you know what? That's, that's actually part of the application process as well. One of the things that I personally pride myself on, and this is, this is just for years of doing this and actually getting, being, you know, not being too high and mighty and too proud to ask lenders, how, how do you want brokers to package applications and, and yeah. work, work with you on applications? And I, I do it the way they want it to be done, which is why we tend to get bridging done really quickly. I mean, our, if you think about um, when you submit a mortgage application, you might submit it, it, sits, it stands in a queue for like five days and then it yeah. goes to an underwriter and then the underwriter comes back with a million and one questions. When it comes to bridging, generally speaking, we'll get that initial underwriting done within 24 hours of, of, yeah. uh, of, of actually submitting it because we submit with all the details and information and annotations and, and anything that we, we know that a lender is going to ask for, for the, that, that underwriter is going to need to understand the case. We act dumb. We underwrite a case before we submit it, which unfortunately I don't think as many brokers uh, do. You know, they, should, they don't do it very often, and I think they should do. Um, so we will actually look at it from an underwriter's perspective and go, right, what, what could they possibly not, un, not understand about this? If we had to explain mm. this case to a six-year-old, what would we do? And that's not that's not disrespecting underwriters, by the way. It's because they remember these underwriters might have to look at 10, 20 applications a day. Yeah. You know, it's just it, it, it's exhausting. So you've got to make like, it easy for them. The process is like anything. If you give people what they want, then you know the rebuttals are gonna be a lot less. Mm. And I think the same the same stands for your broker. Like give them as much information to give them the toolkit to provide the people who are on the same decision. Team on your application as much as possible. Try and be as transparent as possible with what you are aren't doing um, to give you the best chance. Because at the end of the day, the main reason we're raising finance is leveraging what we have is what allows us to make more money. And whether we're borrowing at, you know, averaging 1% a year on, you know, 1% a year or 1% a month on a bridge, you're borrowing that money on the basis that you can leverage that to make a considerable, considerable more amount for yours, considerably more amount for yourself. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, putting yourself in the best position to be able to get finance, I think is, um, is very key. I mm -hmm. think, what, what, yeah. So, but I think in terms of to drill down on that question, what do you need? So you need your deposit mm -hmm. as well as your deposit. You need effectively your, your, um, your finance costs for the term, as they're going to take it in advance and you're just going to get a net. Um, what about, you know, does bridging, where does bridging kind of go with build costs or is that more in development finance? Where do those things sit as an explanation? Yeah, so certainly you can, you, can, you can borrow potentially the cost of the works as well. Uh, generally speaking, if it's anything less than about 30, 35K, you're not going to get a lender that's going to be interested in, in lending that to you as well. If it's above that, I mean, we're doing quite. We do quite a lot of ground up development and larger scale development mm -hmm. stuff, where where the bill costs run into the hundreds of thousands. Um, you know, you can organise a development facility to run alongside your your bridging finance um, that will pay you in stage payments throughout the build. Generally speaking, these are done in arrears, so a lot of the time you do need to cover the first part. Um, but that can that can be a big help in terms of covering off your you know the cost of yeah. the work so you're not having to put as much money and just yourself. Cap capital required to do a deal i guess because exactly. if the stage payment is you know if they're staging those payments in 30k or 50k it means you need to have <clears throat> the money to obviously buy and for the fees and then you need 50k worth of work to, rather than 250 mm -hmm. or 500k so it means yeah. again how you leverage and your return on capital employed should yeah. be a lot lower yes you're going to have fees involved but fees are what allow you to obviously complete the exactly. in the first place. 
Do you know what? On on that, I get a lot of clients that will come to me and they'll say, "Oh, Sam, I need to, I need a bridge to purchase this property." And I go, "Cool. What are you going to do with it? Oh, we're going to. It's an off. It's an office uh, block, and we're converting it into flats. Wicked. Okay, cool. Where, where's the money coming from for the uh, for the work? Oh, we're going to fund the work ourselves." And I'm like, "Why? Why? How? Do you know what? It? That's me. <laughs> That's me. But only again. <laughs> it's just attitude. So I look at it, and I'm kind of like, and again, this I haven't actually had my my broker. Um, always says this to me and I'm like, just, just leave me alone, please. I'll just, I'll do it. But so let's have that conversation today. Sell me this up. Why should I, because again, I guess for me, it's like over leveraging. So sometimes debt on debt. Why should yeah. I fund the works through a product as opposed to, you know, fund the works myself? That's not where I was going with that. Where I was, really? going, where, where I was going with it is, if you've got the money for the works, like let, let's say the works are 200 grand and you're going to buy the, and, and the price of the property, I don't know, say 150, just, mm-hmm. just, just yeah, as yeah, an true. example. You've got 200 grand. Why are you going to borrow money against the purchase that's going to start charging you interest right now? Mm-hmm. Why don't you buy the property cash with the with with a with a day one advance so that you yeah. don't have to to so that that's effectively a bridge element mm-hmm. but so and then the rest of the works can be covered in a, in a development finance of say three tranches of, of 50 grand mm-hmm, afterwards mm-hmm. that you only start paying interest on once you draw it down it's yeah. it's it's more clever use of finance your cost of works even though you're borrowing the same amount of money potentially roughly is yeah. actually going to be is actually going to be less because yeah, the way because, that, yeah. the, the way we'll generally calculate it on a um, on the development it's like, a draw, it's like a drawdown facility almost. Yeah. So the way that a lender will look at the, the development facility is it will be a facility that will cover the cost of the works. They'll add in a 10% contingency. They'll add in the cost of however many monitoring survey visits they'll have to do. Um, and they'll also uh, add in the enough to cover the interest. Now, it's very hard at the beginning when they're coming up with these terms to factor in, say, you know, it's going to be 12, 18 months you know, uh, term or something. How how are we actually going to work out what the cost of the interest is going to be? Because you you haven't had the initial site visit. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you don't know when in the project you're going to be drawing these down. So just as a rule of thumb, and this is why it's actually really, this is really helpful for people to do their sums at the beginning. They will they will work out about ten um, months worth of interest into mm-hmm. that facility because they know that on the whole that's probably going to cover more than will actually be the cost. So actually, if you work it out that way, say say your term is going to be eighteen months, and you're going to borrow the same amount to borrow to against uh, on a bridge to purchase the property as you would be in your development facility. Instead, if you're if you're it's going to take you eighteen months to to exit. Um, you're instead of paying eighteen months worth of interest, you're paying ten months worth of interest, and then and then your bottom line just incre- you know increases. So yeah. I do that with so many of my clients. I'm like, no, no, no I put think- that money, put that money in, buy cash. We'll get a day one advance, and then we'll borrow three tranches in a, in a development facility. Bang. I think, I think why that yeah why probably now that you've explained it why that doesn't make sense because I've focused a lot in Southeast London. And our purchase prices are quite, you know, bill costs kind of stay the same, but mm. purchase prices are a lot higher. So for me, when I'm looking at buying at 700,000, just because I have the bill cost of 250 doesn't mean that I can flip it like that for it to work um, mm-hmm. interchangeably. But okay, yeah, it makes sense. But if you're yeah. purchasing a lot cheaper, because the bill costs realistically, yes, bill costs are cheaper up north. But then nowhere near, you know, as a, ra- as a ratio, you don't see the difference. Yeah, you don't see the same yeah, in terms of the tool. Um, Lauren has asked, can I run a potential deal deal by either of you? Um, yeah, like ping it over. I'm not sure exactly what you want to know about it, but ping it to either of us. And I'm sure we'll have a look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Viral just touched on the fact that 
hope. I, by the way, I can't read, like especially under this pressure of this 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 <laughs> selfie light and trying to look and focus on everything at the same time. So when I say I, I'm, I'm, wrong, I'm really I'm really enjoying I'm really enjoying not having to be the one to scroll through and oh to scroll through and read the names because yeah. like, I'm like randomly when I go like this. Hello, yeah. Like, yeah. that's just me. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm enjoying being on the other side of it for a change. Yeah. Usually, it's me. Asking yeah, because normally, because normally when I was on you, I just sit back and be like, you're struggling yeah. with those names. Yeah, yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he basically said, I think with bridging as well, potentially, if you've got maybe an asset that's got low loan to value or an unencumbered asset, which means you know one without any lending on it, that you could also use those to leverage. Um, mm-hmm. And what's the name of that actually? When you kind of bridge off. Um, yes. So if you're if you're using more than one asset, um, you can we call that cross collateralization. Basically, it's a very sexy word. Oh, um, so say that again. Cross collateralization. So you're cro- so you're cro- you're cross collateralizing. You're 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 securing <laughs> against more than one asset, and um, it's a great way. So here's a little trick for a lot of people. What they don't what a lot of people don't realize is that. Um, bridging lending is even more risk assessed than uh, than a mortgage is because mortgages, when you think about it, it's kind of and this is actually a lot of people don't know this about mortgages. When you see a mortgage product, by the way, that is a product that is um, attached to a fund, a, a particular funding line, um, which has certain criteria and policy attached to it. As soon as that funding line has gone in terms of it's finished, it's been it's been uh, lent out. Mm-hmm. They then start from scratch. They get a new a new product, um, mm-hmm. but. Bridging is done, they will have product lines that will have varying degrees of risk um, attached to them. And it's down to the lender to uh, attach, you know, different uh, inquiries that they get to various different lines. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, even recently, I had a case that um, the, the owner of a bridging lender just turned around and said, you know what, Sam, I'm just going to fund this myself. Um which was which was awesome. He literally put his, his hand into his back pocket. I mean, it wasn't a ton of like hundred fifty grand or something, but you well, know, yeah, they'll, had... they'll, they'll they'll do the those kind of things. So they can they can be a hell of a lot more flexible. And I've completely forgotten the question that was asked uh, that you just said before. But I was going, I was moving onto it. What was it that you just said to me before? I don't know. I got so distracted by cross collateralization. Cross, oh yeah, that, oh this is it. This is it. This is it. So so um, so lenders lenders can be a hell of a lot more flexible with these kind of things. And, and the big thing for them is loan to value. Bridging lenders would much prefer to do 50-60% LTV deals all day long. And so what kind of rates are you getting at 50-60% at the moment? You could get probably sub 0.6 a month. Point six, on, yeah, so I'm going to say the, about on, 0.6 on, on those. You've got to be careful though, because um, and this I'll I'll, I'll um, I'll come back to this point that I was going to make about LTV, but I, I always talk about um, my finance triangle, which is the, th- the three priorities that you want to be thinking about when taking out finance, which is one corner will be price, one corner will be flexibility, one corner will be speed. And generally speaking, you're not going to get all of those in one deal. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're really conscious of price, then realistically, you can only afford to be conscious of price if mm-hmm. flexibility and um and speed are not an issue for you. Yeah. So if you so if you need to, something doing doing quickly and you need flexibility, i.e., you need to borrow a high loan to value, then you you need to sort of get and, o- get over the cost of it. And I think bit. that's where dealing with a broker as well. You know, brokers need to manage clients' expectations mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. because it's all well and good. Like if a client approaches you, if you don't say that to them from day one. And they say, no, I'm buying this thing at auction, so I need X, Y, or Z. And you put them on a product that's 0.73% a month. Mm-hmm. Now, you get them the deal, get it across the line. Alfred, yo, 
you, you get it across the line. And then a month later, they're like, oh, but my friend's been able to get it for 0.6. Like, yeah, but your friend was buying that from an estate agent. But it's like you exactly. don't have those conversations. It's about what people expect and accountability. So I think Completely. definitely when, de- again, and that comes back to transparency, when dealing with a broker, you, you can't get everything at once. You have to tell them, look, I'm buying an auction, so I need speed and I need it. You know, I need it. I need certainty. I need to know that this deal is going to go ahead because Absolutely. my deposit's on the line. So I'll give you give you an example of this, which is what I was gonna I was gonna talk about in terms of this cross cross collateralization and how you right, can use that you've to your advantage. <laughs> I know I didn't say I couldn't say it properly then. But we've got we've got lenders where I'm not gonna say they're gonna do it for everyone, but because I think they they understand that we really understand our market and know our market, they kind of have more faith in us. Um, we did a deal a couple of weeks ago where it was three three properties and the client had come to us. And generally speaking, we don't usually do this. Like It's one of my least favorite things. When somebody says, hi, Sam, I've been offered this finance here. Can you beat that rate? My usual answer to that is I'm, I'm not going to look at it because just just trust just trust in that or trust in me. And hmm. let's not waste each other's let's not waste each other's time. Um, but with this this one um, in particular, uh, it was a lender that I wanted to beat anyway because it weren't my favourite lender. But also, it was a really nice deal. And I was kind of thinking, yeah, look, look, let's, let's have a little look at this. Now, I came back and I said, I, um, I can beat that interest rate, but I'm not going to. Right? I'm going to offer you a rate that's slightly more expensive. And the client, she actually came back to me and she was like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Well, we broke down on the figures. And because we were we were um, securing against the the main the like the main new purchase that they were buying and the security that they already owned, um, the LTV across the both was about fifty two percent I think. Mm-hmm. So I said to the lender, so that's really low risk, right? They're like, yeah, it's low risk. I was like, so you don't really need to do any valuations on the property, do you? And they're like, actually, probably not, Sam. No. So it saved them probably about four or five grand in valuation costs and time, yeah. about two weeks worth of time as well. And, and and that's really, I think, a sticking point for finance is that when you're getting finance, it's just all about your numbers. So you need to make sure that you're putting in, what's your arrangement fees? Do you have any, you know, early exit fees? What, you know, what are your just little fees? Like, because some people charge for anything and everything. Like, you're, mm-hmm. I, I want a letter. I need a letter of non-crystallization. <laughs> some people actually charge for these things that, you know, yeah, so I know. you need to understand what are all your fees? Put them into your spreadsheet and just work out where you're at. I've actually realised I've not been clicking on all the questions. So I'm going to get to some because we love talking. Me and Sam, we both love talking. Both just will waffle away for ages. So let me get some, just go through the chat quickly. Um, so very quick question from um, Tolu Henry has said, talk about, yeah, please talk about interest if all on refurbishment loans. Do you know much about refurbishment loans? Like homeowner um as in for for, for homeowners um just so, yeah. yeah so there re- there isn't really a product for that in all honesty um so you get self-build mortgages for for, for residential but but then when i say they're self-built we're talking genuinely build getting land building your own home if you're going to buy a home for yourself and, re- and refurbish it there really isn't a project a product for it you can get you can get regulated bridging just but, what about that Maybe maybe something that people have owned for, because a lot of people are not developers as well. So maybe an mm-hmm. asset they've loaned for a while, their LTV's pretty, you know, pretty decent. But maybe yeah. just like a further advance or something like yeah. that. So so there's there's a few different th- options that you've got. So you own your own home. Say say you've been paying down your mortgage, you're at 30, 40% of, your, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. 
you you certainly can get further advanced. You can go back to your current lender or even via your broker can go back to your current lender and say, will you will you lend me some more cash, um, which is going to be based on your affordability, as we were saying before. Yeah. So, there, so, so there's that. You could refinance with your existing lender and get a whole new larger loan. So we can look at that as well. Um, you can get a second charge term loan, um, which would be with a separate lender and in a, and a sec, uh, maybe sort of 10, 15 year term loan that will sit as a second charge. It's probably going to be a bit, bit more expensive. Or you can actually get a second charge bridge. Now, mm. it's a bit of a contentious issue, this, because a lot of people say, well, um, if anything, if you if anything's like a home ownership, you know, main residential mm-hmm. um, property, then that falls under the FCA's regulation, um, which a lot of bridging lenders don't lend re- on on a regulated basis. Yeah. Now, now, just to, just as a sort of to make everyone um, not not feel worried that they're going to be taking out loans that have have no one looking after them, it's just they. They're called regulated because the FCA looks after them. Yeah. Invest, investment bridges and buy-to-let mortgages and stuff, they are regulated just by a different different, different, body. different, different, different body called the PRA. Mm. So, um, And there's very little crossover between the two. Now, some bridging lenders um, will, if you, they will lend you a second charge bridge against your main residential property if they deem that to be used for business purposes. Now, that would mean that you wouldn't be able to use it to do work on your current home, but you, what you could do is pull that money out um, mm-hmm. and put it and put it as a director's loan into an SPV, for example, to buy another property with, like a like another investment property. So you can use that. But apart from that, if it was just to, to do work on your own home, then yeah, you'd probably be looking at the one of the other three options. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Very very in depth answer. Yeah. Um, Sharina's also not happy with you. She said you're taking all of the gems from her session. And you're uh, answering questions too thoroughly. But don't worry, there's plenty of questions in regards sorry. to plenty of different <laughs> areas. But we're going to have um, Sharina on very soon. I don't remember the date off the top of my head, but I think it's in about three weeks from now. So for those I who have, just I have seen, uh, I've seen Alfred as well. Mentioned, he wanted me to mention that obviously he broke your uh, he broke your record on the Game Alone podcast last week. Uh, I did, mm. t- I did, I did tell him. Kazi, you uh, to to make um, Alfred feel a little bit, you know, more inferior. You are my current number one ever downloaded episode of the podcast. So, you know, Alfred's got a little way to go to catch up. I'm not saying it's not possible. Yeah, just yeah, to, Alfred, you know, you know, yeah, just... Alfred. If, if you're reading that or hearing that, just uh, <laughs> pay attention. Sharina, Sharina, sorry, Sharina's reminded us that we're having a run on twelfth. So twelfth awesome. of April, Sharina's going to be coming again, talking all things finance because we've got about five, 10 minutes left here today. So if you do miss out, don't worry. You've got another opportunity of another amazing person in finance, 10 plus years of experience. Don't worry, Alfred. You know, I can see that you sound very bitter. I'm going to get you on here very soon. Alfred loves a little plug. So for those who don't follow, follow um, Alfred. Alfred's doing some amazing HMOs up in Coventry. Make sure you check him out. He's currently raising finance as well, which segues me onto my amazing point. Investor finance versus bridging. Talk to mm-hmm. me. So I've got nothing against investor finance, which mm-hmm. that might sound a bit strange because like, well, if, if someone's going out and getting investor mm-hmm. finance, aren't they not then necessarily mm-hmm. going and working with you? I'm of the belief that, the, and, I, and, I, and I, I use this term or this kind of um, mm-hmm. statement a lot. The, I, can, I can see the difference between good and bad investors because I work with so many of them. I get to see like behind the scenes and see who does well. The best investors are the ones that understand and have access to and use the most different types of, of, mm-hmm. of various different types of funds. 
So mm-hmm. if you have your own cash, you have, you have access to investor finance and you can understand all the various different types of debt finance you can get as well, mortgages and bridging and development finance, that's going to put you up on a level that, that very few others can match. So I, I, I see that as a massive, um, a massive help. And trust me, I reckon 10 to 15 percent percent of all the transactions that I get involved with have an, an investor element. an investor, an investor working element. in there. Yeah. yeah, which is fine. And look, on the whole, uh, mortgage lenders don't like it. Um, they prefer to see that you've got skin in the game. You've got your own cash and they'll want to see evidence that it's your own cash. Mm-hmm. Bridging lenders don't care as much as long as they can get evidence of where that money is coming from. Yeah, just you know, they can get money, yeah, meet the yeah, uh, so, stuff. Then they're a exactly. lot more comfortable with it. But but you know what? As well, this is this is one thing that I think is a really key takeaway from this. A lot of people think, well, investor finance should be my number one because mm-hmm. that's going to be cheaper. Actually, it isn't always cheaper, um, and it's the re- the reason for it is if. Um, if you're saying you, you're, you're working with investors, you're saying, right, I'm going to give you a fixed rate of return. I'm going to give you 10%. I'm going to give you 12%, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Now, when you pay, a lot of the time, um, and I, you know, I, I may, maybe you've worked out a more sophisticated way of doing this, but on the whole, I find usually whether you pay that back to them in six months or 12 months, that 10, 12, whatever percentage you've arranged with them stays the same. Now, with a bridging loan, if you're, you know, we've mentioned this already before, we might have a, a term of 12 months, in which case yeah. the annualized interest rate might be 13 or 14%. However, if you pay that back in six months, seven months, you only pay, you only pay for what you use for. So actually, exactly. suddenly that interest rate actually, when you work it out pro rata is 6%, yeah, for the term 7%. Of the so actually, exactly. And even when you add in, say, a 2% fee onto that, it's still working out to be cheaper. So I think a lot of the time, if it's sort of if you're borrowing on the whole sub 100k, investor finance probably ends up being on the whole cheaper. But if you're borrowing more than 100, 150k, um, don't write off bridging because and, actually it could end up being cheaper depending on how long you're going to borrow it for. And for me, to be honest, it's not obviously cheaper. You know, in, in terms of what we've spoken about numbers, but again, like when we spoke about the auction example, cheaper isn't always better. So for me. The reason I, I mean, I've over the course of the last, you know, six, seven years, I've probably raised about a million pounds of um, investor investor funding, all of which has been returned with the agreed interest. Um, and I currently have zero outstanding, but I do have a number of debt products outstanding with bridges, with other people, um, with you know, with other lenders. And the reason for that, I liken, again, you can see that I like shoes, currently surrounded by shoes. Um, and I liken the idea of bridging versus raising investor finance to going out and buying stuff yourself versus using a, you know, a shopping personalized shop or a concierge service in that if we both want money, you both want the same product, whether I want 100K or that pair of Yeezys, we both decided that's what we want. Now, yes, in the terms of, you know, raising investor finance, I could be shopping around for it. I could be trying to raise it, but it's the same principle of, do I want to wait in line for those trainers? Now I could get them cheaper by doing that, but it's what is the time allowance? Am I definitely going to get them? Whereas using a specialized service means I have those on tap. I know that if I want this, I can get this. Mm. And it means a lot of the time with a deal, there's a lot of moving parts. Can I raise the money first? Can I find the deal first, X, Y, and Z? And then you miss out on deals and don't raise the money or don't complete a deal that you want to do because you can't get the two to marry up. And the difference between those is that um, exactly exactly that you're paying the premium for the you're paying a premium 
for the service and for having the finance on tap, which is why I and a lot of other developers will still use, you know, bridging products, even when we have access to private funding as well. But don't get me wrong, private funding can be amazing, but it's all about relationships. If your relationship with your bridger is amazing, you can get amazing rates, you can get it really quickly, and likewise the same for a potential investor. But again, it's about, it's not all bridging isn't better than all investors and all investors aren't better than bridging, but it's just a very much a deal by deal basis on what do you need at any given time. In, and like I said, you can use you can use both as well. That's the exactly. thing. Exactly. You can you can, marry you, both. You, can you can stack these things. Um, funnily enough, actually, I had, I had somebody approach me recently, a, a friend of mine, who had found a property and said, you know, do you want to do you want to go in uh, with me on this? And I thought, and I said, yeah, you know, actually, I like the look of these figures. This looks pretty awesome. And he said, oh, you know, what what do you what can you bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And I said, and I said, well, I can get us funding cheaper than what you're yeah. going to get on, on your own because I can go to the lenders, some of the lenders that I'll use on a regular basis and say, right, can you give me basically bog standard pricing, you know, z- pretty much zero margin for you and, you know, they're not going to charge us any fees because usually that fee they'd probably pay to me anyway so or yeah. a large percentage of it. So, um, and do you know what? He turned around to me and he, and he just went, well, you're not putting any money into it. I said, mate, you are saving so much by having me on board with that access yeah. to these, these types of funding. And um, he, he couldn't get it. He couldn't get his head around that. But yeah. I think it's the, but and that's the point that you were kind of making is a lot of it is that relationship led stuff. Yeah. yeah, I've been doing this for fourteen years, so you know I, I know a lot of lenders, and I know that a lot of them know they know I know what I'm talking about, and so that could be really helpful. But it's the same the same with individual investors. If you've got five, six, seven uh, bridging lenders that you've worked with before, and they've seen the quality of the work, they've seen that the proof is in the pudding that you've repaid them, you've repaid them on time, mm-hmm. you were easy to work with, they're going to want to lend to you again, because it's much mm-hmm. easier to lend to somebody you've already lent to than to go out and try and find new Yeah, because then you've got, a, you've got to re-qualify people. And, you know, if you, exactly. If, you, if you've already seen, particularly if somebody's a portfolio landlord, you've seen their portfolio, you just ask for up-to-date, you know, IDs, bank statements, et cetera, but you're pretty much happy to go. Um, mm-hmm. Last specific question, and make sure you do this one quickly because I want to give you an opportunity to plug yourself, which you love. <laughs> um, so regarding development finance, are there many lenders who offer a, um, a percentage of the GDV after a planning gain? And one second, let me click in. And do these rates tend to be higher? That's from um, Justin Properties. Yeah, cool. So very, very quickly, yes, um, development finance lenders will lend off the GDV. Typically mm-hmm. speaking, 60 to, 65 to 70% is the absolute max. If you're looking at ground up development, so mm-hmm. build, building from the ground up rather than converting, probably 60, 65 is more what you're looking at. Now, um, when you're looking to try and get a planning gain, so if you're buying before you've got the planning involved, what we can do is we can line up the development finance based on the post-planning GDV, mm-hmm. but the lender is unlikely to allow you to draw down any cash until that planning has been put until in place. Your plan has been so, they, so they might lend you a day one amount to help you purchase the property with, um, but chances are um, they might actually want you to get the planning in place. Yeah, no, so, which, so, which, makes so, sense. which makes perfect sense. But like I said, there are lenders out there that we can we can line all this stuff up with, but what they know that basically we're, we're buying the property, we need a bridge to just acquire it because we need that yeah. done quickly, but they will have everything you know, kind of yeah, ready, so, ready, ready to go to, you know, so to, think, to, so to allow as, for the development after that. As a, for example, let's say you're buying a property for 300K and so, okay, your, your net advance, they're going to say, right, we're going to lend you 200K because that's what it's worth now in current state. Mm-hmm. Now, that means that you're going to need 100K to secure the property plus your relevant fee stamp, etc. Um, 
But what they may do is in advance, if your GDV with planning is going to be 1 million, it means that, as Sam said, anywhere up to 500 to 600K, they're going to lend you against the GDV, but only once you have that planning in place. Exactly, exactly. Um, Do you know, there's there's actually, really, really quickly, there's there's something off the back of that, which is quite helpful as Mm -hmm. well, is that um, quite often we'll use bridging um, to... Uh, with clients who want to do the whole exchange with the delay completion as well, yeah. uh, because lenders are pretty good at being able to lend, bridging lenders are pretty good at being able to lend off the open market value rather than the purchase price. So say, yeah. you, you're, you, say you've agreed a purchase price of, of whatever it might be, you, you agree that you want to delay the completion by two months. They, you allow you get access to get in, do the works. We can do everything to do with that deal. We can even, even do a lot of the, uh, the legals mm-hmm. as well. And what we'll do is we'll just delay the valuation or the survey to get done basically the day after practical completion on the site. Um, mm-hmm. They'll go in, do their valuation. The lender will just will then lend off of They'll that amount, yeah. the open market value, rather than the purchase price, which in some instances and in certain areas can mean you can borrow 85, 90, even 100 percent of the purchase price. Now that's a, yeah. that's good if you're going to flip because otherwise you're probably going to be over leveraged for a refinance. But if you don't have as much cash, yeah, for flip, something like that can work really, really well. Yeah. So that, another example of the flexibility of bridging basically. Yeah, no, I've done that myself just once on one example, but it worked really well. So again, had to use a smaller, smaller lender, very bespoke. The actual owner mm-hmm. of the company came down with the surveyor because they wanted to see all the deals themselves. So it's yeah. funny when you see the smaller stuff and the more direct stuff. I, I actually uh, like the small bridges. They they char- yeah. they will charge a little bit more, but the service yeah. you get is, and although having said that, on, really. I'm dealing with a, a quite a small bridger at the moment on, on a deal and they're giving me 0.8% at mm-hmm. 75%, which actually I think is really good yeah, in the current yeah. market. Yeah. Uh, Guardian, Sam, quickly, we've got to cut off to make sure we can get this <laughs> safe. So, Sam, where can they find you? You know, give us your socials, give us where you're at real quick, quick one minute. Yeah. So I pretty much post every single day on Instagram. So you can go and follow me uh, by clicking above and I yeah try and give as much value as I possibly can. Tomorrow at five o'clock every Monday, I do a live video where I do a live Q&A. Put me on the spot with all of your questions to do a property finance. That's the uh, the Monday mortgage melt. Usually Sundays and Wednesdays, I don't have one tonight because I've got a bit of a technical issue with my computer. Um, I'll have new videos coming out on my YouTube channel, which you can uh, find by clicking the link in my bio. And then of course, on Thursdays, I have um, a new episode of my podcast, The Game of Loans podcast. You can listen to Cassie's episode, which I think was episode 76, I think it was. Best episode. Best day. episode. We've got um, Alfred's episode, which has just come out, number 78. Um, and we've got another episode coming out uh, with the uh, awesome uh, Lexi Carducci on Thursday mm-hmm. this week, which is going to be awesome. And then every Friday at 5 p.m., I'm on Clubhouse as well usually doing a property and business yeah. related clubhouse um room with a few yeah. other investors. Hey, look at that. Hey, let's just give a little round of just roll yeah, just rolling on. off the time. Yeah. Come on, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> no, that was amazing. So I am Kaz or Kazi from Property by Kazi. We're here every Sunday. I think James just asked every Sunday, 6 p.m. Different guests within the property field, some specialists. Alfred's been all over the comments, so we're gonna get him in very soon. But over the next um, couple of months, we've got the winner of The Apprentice. Next week, we've got Matthew from 40 Accounting, specialist, tax specialist um, within the accounting space. So make sure you're following my socials, link in the bio. Going to catch up. Same time, sex place. See ya.